Thank you, Rosemary, and good morning, everyone. Let me just pray briefly before I begin. Lord, may your word and the message you have for each one of us dissolve what is negative, distant, or cold within our hearts and replace it with your love. Amen. We continue our study of John's letters, focusing today upon the thread which runs through so much of his gospel writing, namely God's love. As I started to prepare for this, I thought to myself, how can we even think of love when the world is in such a state, when the very opposite of love, hatred, is manifesting itself in ugly and wicked ways on so many fronts? Where does love fit in? What can it achieve? And I felt a bit like the Apostle Peter when, seeing Jesus walking on the water of Lake Galilee, impetuously jumped out of the boat to join him, then took his eyes off Jesus and instead saw the big waves and the strong wind and realised his situation and started to sink. Still somewhat daunted, I read about the three elements of time within Greek thought. The moment of epiphany, when time is rent asunder to reveal something in clarity and power. The period of crisis, when time becomes entangled and things get confused and difficult. And then kairos, the propitious moment, when time opens up gently in kindness and promise. We are currently in the season of Epiphany, that period in the church calendar when we celebrate the baptism of Jesus and the beginning of his earthly ministry. The world is certainly in crisis with all that's going on. So I thought we should, in faith, regard this as a golden opportunity for Kairos to provide creativity and hope that we desperately need. So bearing in mind that as Peter was sinking, Jesus reached out and saved him, I thought that rather than wonder how can we possibly think of love at a time like this, I said to myself, how can we not? Then I pondered the Apostle John's own journey. He and his brother James, you will remember, were once called sons of thunder. And in Luke 9:54, they asked Jesus if they should call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritan village that did not welcome Jesus and the disciples. Sort of heavenly RAF. And yet, here we have John, as an older man, writing in a way that demonstrates the effect that God's love has had on him. And he exhorts his brothers and sisters, dear children, as he calls them, to reflect that love in their treatment of each other. And he begins in the first verse of our reading, 3.11, by reminding them, this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
which he develops in the main part of our reading from chapter 4. And as Ian explained last week, John often refers back to what he's already said, adding facts that give more light and colour, almost with the skill of the weaver carefully developing a fine fabric. So in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. And the tense is the continuous present, meaning let us go on loving just as we have been all along. Why? Because this love is from God. Note that John is referring to the love, agape in the Greek, of one Christian for another, because he continues, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So the fact that we exercise this agape love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ is proof that we are part of God's family and therefore distinct from what we were, children of the world, indeed the prince of the world, the devil, sorry to put it so bluntly, but in the end we're either sheep or goats, destined to go up or down. So we should distinguish this agape love from the love one encounters in the world, the love for its own, the love of self, the love of status, the love of money, and so on. Some translations omit the important word, this, and simply say that love is from God, as if all love, including the world's love for its own, is from God, but it can't be, because John goes on in verse 8, the one not loving does not know God. And the literal translation of that is, the one not loving knew not God. In other words, never knew him. Echoing Jesus' chilling words to those who do not do his will, I never knew you. Words which John, of course, heard Jesus say decades before. Verse 8 continues, because God is love, not love is God. The world's view of love is shallow and selfish. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever you think is right, regardless of objective moral principles, you're in charge. You're your own North Star. This is why our definition of love must come from God. It simply cannot be subjective. And as C.S. Lewis shows, this agape love is a command. It's a duty and has little to do with liking our sisters and brothers. Yet, he says, the more we love them, the more we will come to like them. And Christians who love each other, know God, and thus have true fellowship with him. God is love, the second of the major themes of John's first letter. And we saw last week that God is light, and Brian will speak next week on how God is life. Three 
of the many attributes of God, all of them essential and integral to the essence of the marvellous being we know as God and whose virtues our finite minds can only marvel at. This is a good point to counter the objection one often hears from people today, people like Stephen Fry, who said that he couldn't believe in a God who permitted little children in Africa to suffer from conflict or curable diseases. Now, while we all feel for those who suffer, to blame God is to exalt our own perception of love above its rightful level, and indeed to judge God by our own standards. So in answer to Mr. Fry, we can only say that when John says, God, love is, that's the literal translation, God, love is, we stand in awe before that simple yet profound statement and its deep mysteries that our frail and finite minds cannot fully appreciate. The world had never seen a love like this before. A new word had to be coined for it. Agape, the love of intelligence, the love of comprehension and of understanding combined with a purpose appropriate to the object of that love. The spirit of the world is to love only those who belong to it, those who go with the flow. Christians don't, and so are hated by the world, just as Jesus was. God, in his infinite love, saw the perfect world he originally created, soiled by sin and its effects, yet sent his Son to offer a way to cleanse it. Like Jesus, we are to love our enemies, not ignore the evil in them or downplay it, but through love uh, and the working of the Holy Spirit to seek to overcome it. John goes on to expound this incredible love in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. The verb sent, apostolean in the Greek, means to send with a task, hence our word apostle. And Jesus completed his task, his mission, verse 10. This, says John, is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The ultimate, tangible evidence of God's love, which prompts John to hammer home his main point in verse 11. Beloved, if thus God loved us, we too ought to be loving one another. That continuous present tense again. As if in a 21st century Colosseum, many people in this world are looking on, baying for blood, and longing to see Christians trip up and fail. And yet, 
the way we believers behave towards each other can confound their antagonism and make them think. Next time we feel like letting one of our congregation have a piece of our mind in public, can I suggest we pause and consider the quote, see how these Christians love one another, and the effect it would have had upon the pagan Roman who uttered it and the historian Tertullian who recorded it. Remember, whether a trained minister or not, every Christian will preach at least one sermon in the form of our life and how we live it. People can't ignore the effects of our faith. Evidence of the sort that I was pleasantly surprised to read about in this week's articles in the JEP from Gavin Ashenden and Douglas Kruger, listing the many practical examples of Christianity in action which had benefited mankind and this island. With so many folk ready to knock Christianity and Christians, it was a rare encouragement to see the publication of the positives that the outworking of our faith brings to society. And while those services to the public are largely a reflection of God's love for mankind, and thus a slightly different love than the agape John is dealing with in our reading, Christians really could not effectively perform those services unless they loved each other in the way John is commending, and which, in verse 12, further proves that the God whom no one has seen lives in us through his Spirit. Looking briefly at the last part of our reading, verse 14 harks back to the opening of the letter, confirming that we, the apostles, have beheld and are testifying that the Father sent his Son as the Saviour of the world. So far we've seen that one goal of God's love for us is in turn to kindle that love in our hearts for others in the family of God. And as we obey that command, verse 17, the perfection of God's love in us brings about another wonderful gift, our confidence on the day of judgment. Since our response to and acceptance of God's love in our hearts drives out any fear we may have had of punishment for our sins. As children of God, as the song said, we are of course to have a reverent fear and respect for our Father and do our best to avoid offending him. But if our love is perfected, we will be free of the fear of punishment that the unrepentant will rightly have on the day of judgment. Another ancient writer, Jerome, tells of the frail apostle John in extreme old age being carried into his congregation and mumbling the words, love each other, 
When asked why he talked of nothing else, John replied, because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. I'm sure we all have our examples of sisterly and brotherly love, but I close with an extract from the email Ian sent to us last September after the death of Maurice Buard. If there's a word to sum up Maurice, it would be love. It was a privilege to know him and count him as my friend. He loved Jesus, he loved his family, he loved his friends, he loved his church. Maurice was so appreciative of all you did for him in these recent days and weeks. He would want me to say to you in Jesus' words, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Amen.